Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajasad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're also pretty good friends. In fact, I'm such a good friend that I will cede the hosting duties or the talking par- the talking portion of the intro here to let Ben tell us all about um, his latest work and where you can find his latest work. I mean, technically, it, in a podcast, every portion is the talking portion. But... That is true. Don't, now, don't make fun of me too much or I'll take the talking Oh, uh, that's true. I'm going to lose you. it. Okay, so I'm holding the talking stick and... Um... <laughs> You can find my work at uh, at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Haggerty, and at Inside Hook. Can I have the talking stick now? Yeah, I mean, you can hold it, but I'm not going to loosen my grip. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and the October issue of Car and Driver. Which what, is, what? Which is fun. It's just one really teeny tiny article. You probably might not even notice it. It's a good article, though. You should read it. Waste-based paint. About my favorite subject, sewage. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about today, including um, an all-new electric vehicle that I went all the way to Copenhagen to see. It's the Polestar, the Polestar 3. Question, is this vehicle only going to be sold in Copenhagen? No, it, I don't even know what the connection to Copenhagen <laughs> is. Um, and in fact, I was a little disappointed that this was just a, uh, a reveal rather than any sort of more uh, intimate uh Intimate you know, event that that happens. Sometimes. What kind of intimate event were you expecting uh, with a car? Just curiosity. Um, um, with I, the car or with the people who make the car? I have a follow up question too. So uh, I was expecting a little bit more information or like hands on time or you know experiential stuff. I just looked at a car. Um, I listened to the uh, I listened to the, the the song Aquarius a couple of times. Follow up question. And, Yes. Was there a Little Mermaid aspect to your Copenhagen Copenhagen experience? There's always a Little Mermaid aspect to my personal uh, Copenhagen experience, but it was not part of the Polestar agenda, which is unfortunate. I believe that in Swedish or Danish, uh, the word for mermaid is herfrit. Herfrit. Um, I only know that because when I did the gumball like many years ago, our support team was from Sweden and we all hung out and checked out the Little Mermaid statue and... I, I learned it might have been, it might actually have been Russian anyway Harfrit so now you know thank you um, please don't there, at me with a correction on my accent or pronunciation the the um, the most important thing to talk about with the Polestar three is that um, this is the brand's this is what they say this is their their like how do you how do you how do you even start here this is what they envision Polestar to be the Polestar three is everything that Polestar represents. Which so is a what was what were they doing thing. until now? <laughs> that is a very important question. Um, I think what they've had before now is something associated to Volvo in some way or another. I think the or or something that was a bit um, not like exclusive or, or you know just different. This is like the truest form of Polestar is what they say. So they had the Polestar one, which was this really um, hyper exotic sort of uh, coupe. Uh, plug-in hybrid coupe. It was very hard to find. Very expensive. It used a carbon fiber body, which is probably why it's so expensive. And a lot of people said that it was pretty funky and cool to drive. It also looked and and had a very Volvo uh, design language. It I made a it splash, was, though. I right? think that was important for the their first vehicle. I think that's exactly what they did. Um, the Polestar 2, 
First of all, I thought the Polestar 2 was a crossover or something. Apparently, it's not. They're calling it a sedan because the Polestar 3 is the brand's first SUV or crossover. Uh-huh. Okay. Two, it uses the same platform as the Volvo XC40, and not even the electric version of the XC40, just the XC40 altogether. Well, I so, don't think there is a different platform for the electric no. one, right? Like, I think it's a, it's a full-on share with the gas power. Exactly, which is to say that this isn't a Polestar-exclusive vehicle. Now, the Polestar 3 is a Polestar-exclusive vehicle for now. I think that there's going to be a Volvo, I think it's called the EX90, which will use the Polestar 3 platform or some things associated to it. But here we have the Polestar coming first. Um, and I'm curious about what the price point of that Volvo will be because the Polestar 3, the Polestar 3 seems very expensive, starting at... Um, like $89,000, How big is this vehicle and like, what are you getting for your money? Because that is a lot of money to spend. I mean, what's the Polestar 2 cost? I think it's like 60, 55? 50, I think, yeah. So that's a pretty um, big jump. I mean, is this a larger vehicle? It is a bigger vehicle. They they would say that this would compete with something um like the Porsche Cayenne, if a Cayenne was all electric. And so if Porsche buyers maybe, were, were also cross-shopping Volvos. <laughs> yeah, so maybe something smaller than the BMW iX, I think, would be right. Maybe something about the same size as the, the e-tron SUV. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. I think so. I mean, you saw it. I didn't. I did not go to Denmark. It is um, It is a fairly um, attractive, if conservative-looking vehicle. It has all sorts of unique um, design elements to it, including a front spoiler, like a cutout in the hood that... You know, it, it like how do you describe it? it? It it like there's like an opening in the front bumper that that flows air over it. Okay. Okay. Um, there's also a ton of technology in this, but what you want to know, you, let's give you the basics. Um, one, the price I told you, very expensive. Two, the battery also very big, 111 kilowatt hours. Three, the range relatively little. It's 300 miles um, is what they're expecting. I mean, that's for a battery not bad. That, but, but for a battery that big. Well, it gets 517 horsepower, right, in the performance trim? Oh, you did some research. Yeah, I'm ahead of you now. I didn't need to go to Denmark because the power of the internet has brought Denmark to me. <laughs> 517 horsepower and four, 671 pounds of torque leads to a 0 to 60 time of 4.5 seconds. I mean, that's pretty crazy, but it also indicates how heavy that is because with <laughs> that amount of power... <laughs> it is nearly 6,000 pounds. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, the heaviest spec is 5,800 pounds. So that's it's definitely in SUV territory. I'm looking at it now because I decided to do that. And it really <laughs> it really does doesn't the front end of the vehicle kind of looks fresh and interesting. And yep. then the rear of the vehicle kind of looks like every other Volvo I've seen of the last four or five years. That little like uh, scooped uh, taillight? Yeah, it's got the Is scooped that the best taillight. Way to describe it? I don't know what to call it. It's got the kind of the duckbill spoiler on top of the hatch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even the bumper has these kind of pushouts at the edge of the bumper. It really, Square. it really it's says Volvo. Square. That's like Volvo's design language has always been kind of pushed. Yes. So. Square. I agree. And also the, the most Volvo part of this vehicle is the uh, side profile where it has yep. this kind of like half hexagonal um, uplift in the, it's like an indent at the bottom of the doors, basically. And you that see, looks like body cladding. Yeah. And that, yeah. that is a classic Volvo Q. Uh, so again, if you're saying that they told you this was the ultimate expression of what a Polestar is, does that mean a Polestar is just a fancy Volvo? Is that really what they want to get across? 
Now, that's the weirdest part to me because I think we've had this discussion either on or off the podcast before, and that was where the Polestar, and, the Polestar 2 and the XC40 were concerned. Two vehicles that use the same powertrain, uh, the same, in terms of the electric version of the XC40, the same powertrain, the same platform, but the Volvo was more expensive than the Polestar 2. And now we've got this Polestar 3 that seems quite expensive, um, maybe more so than a, than a Volvo would be. So I'm... That's where I was trying to figure out. Now it seems like, you know, if you're if you're if you're looking at their very expensive Polestar one and now the Polestar three, they want to be an upscale car company, I think. And also, and, I'm also looking at this interior, and I'm yeah. sorry, but if I'm paying a lot of money for a car, I don't want to feel like I'm waiting in a doctor's office where every surface is just kind of sterile and clean and empty. Like if you look at the dashboard, it's got a giant screen in the middle and absolutely Huge nothing screen. else. It's got yeah. that tiny little rectangle gauge cluster screen like we have in the Mustang Mach-E that I'm not a big fan of. And it just feels like minimalism for its own sake. I will admit that probably the worst part of the cabin is that tiny gauge cluster screen, that rectangular gauge cluster screen doesn't fit the, the vehicle at all. The large, um, Rectangular screen, as you know, is powered by Android Automotive OS, um, which supposedly has some benefits. On... The screen looks so big that I think I would have trouble reaching the far corners of it from the driver's seat. <laughs> you, just, you just gotta move your, and your seat. Do you think that they should have a I dynamic just gotta move seat my adjustment? Seat. What are you talking? Do you think they should have a dynamic seat adjustment? More like you if it detects your... that you're leaning forward, yes, it like shoves exactly. forward. Yes, it, that sounds no, dangerous. When you, when you, it has a sensor obviously on the screen oh, that yeah. you can tell where your hands are. And then, um, why doesn't it just um, bring the screen closer to me? Why does it have to move my oh, whole body? True. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> um, but speaking of sensors, this thing is loaded with sensors and, um, a ton of sensors, including drivers, uh, driver, driver facing cameras to make sure that if you are using any of the adaptive cruise control settings or things like that, you're not uh, getting distracted. Wait, how many cameras are facing the driver? And follow up, how many of those cameras are connected to a robot-like interface that you could potentially befriend? There are two cameras, and I'm not quite sure about the the interface, but it is one of the first cars that I know of is that is using the NVIDIA. If you know this, this NVIDIA uh, is a hardware company or a computer uh, a hardware company, I think primarily known for gaming graphics. And uh, they have a, comp they have a drive, uh, uh, sorry, a car computer that is meant to, you know, take in and process all of these, all of this data from sensors like cameras, radars, even LIDAR. And yeah, I'm uh, seeing 16 ultrasonic sensors, eight cameras, five radar arrays, two NVIDIA drive computers, and something called Luminar, which is a LIDAR set of LIDAR yep. sensors. That's a lot of sensors. Um, if I'm an insurance company, I'm <laughs> nervous <laughs> because Everything I just said sounds expensive to replace. And <laughs> you're going to love this too. If you look at the front end of the vehicle, if you look at the front end of the vehicle, um, you're going to see what looks like a little button on the, on the, on the nose of the car. And to the right of that is something that they called, I think the smart zone. And that's where a bunch, a bunch of the, I was going to say a buttload. I probably shouldn't, but that's where a lot of the um, sensors are. And they also have a heating element in case they get covered in snow. I think I am seeing that little button. It's in the center, you said? That that of the of the of the 
bumper, the front bumper. Yeah, I see, see it? it. Smart and zone. Smart, smart zone, zone sounds like something that like um, Powerade would like <laughs> yeah, market exactly. in like the early two thousands. Get in the smart zone. Something exactly. like that. Did they ever? So did they do that the at the presentation? Out there. No, they didn't say did that. Did the they guy at the front shake a big jug of Powerade and spray it on the crowd? <laughs> yes, and stuck his tongue out so he can show everyone the color that he was drinking. Um, so there are, there's a ton of technology here, um, and, and they've also um, like evolved a sensor that you and I have discussed in the past. Remember the GV? I think it was the GV70. The Genesis GV70 had a radar in the back of the car that could tell whether or not you left somebody or something in the back of the car um, and alert you if, if, you know, they're, you know, you left somebody behind. Yeah. Could... I mean, I did it on purpose, but yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. So this car also has that really sensitive radar that can tell if you left a kid or a dog or something in the, in the back seat. When you say sensitive radar, it makes me think that they're going to install a radar that knows when I'm sad. <laughs> Yeah, and it's gonna yeah. be like, do you really want to be listening to Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> or or can we interest you in Aqua? So, when this um, when this sensor can tell uh, that you've left somebody in the in the backseat of the car, it is attached to the climate control system and will enable the climate control system to help prevent hypothermia or heat stroke. I thought you were gonna say it was like a James Bond type gadget where. It attacks. It, it activates the the climate control system and then slowly bakes your victim alive oh, in the no. rear seat. Okay, remember when Volvo? We've talked about this on the show in the past. <laughs> Volvo had a a device in the S80, which is this is like probably 2010 2011, yeah. where um it could detect a heartbeat in the rear of the car, and it wasn't it wasn't in case you left a pet or a child behind. What? It was in case you were going to be kidnapped. And it would tell you as you approached your vehicle on your key fob, you would get an alert telling you that there was someone hiding in your car. To me, to this day, this is the coolest slash craziest piece of automotive <laughs> safety technology that's ever been developed. This is a real feature. Now, com- this, this is the same company. So <laughs> I, I could fully see Volvo coming up with this system where it's like they detect there's an intruder in the car and then they just basically activate a button that sucks all the oxygen out of the cabin. <laughs> yeah. And then they die in a vacuum. Case closed. That is concerning. However, I don't think they'll do this because the company has now changed its stance on on vegan interiors. You know this, vegan interiors. Have you heard about this before? Nothing is vegan in my murder interior, Sammy. Yes. Now they are no longer offering vegan interiors because they realize that's just plastic um, and there's nothing luxurious or worthy of an $83,000 car in a plastic interior and are now putting this sort of like, what was it called? Traceable interior material. What does traceable sure I... even mean? Uh, traceable. So that it can, <laughs> does it come with a photo of the cow that gave its life? Is that what traceable means? They they're using bio attributed microtech. What does um, bio attributed mean? Animal well, animal welfare certified leather and fully traceable <laughs> wool upholstery. Okay, I gotta so stop you the, right there. The way I understand this is, <laughs> it's kind of like free range chickens. Okay, well, that's where we're getting our our interiors from. So, what, what, say that say that term again. Which one? The animal welfare certified yeah, leather. So, if you're skinning an animal. <laughs> I don't know how concerned you are about its welfare. I mean, maybe it had a good life up to that point. Maybe traceability will reveal that to be true. But yep. these just sound like they threw a bunch of buzzwords into a into a bucket and pulled them out one at a time. 
I think it uh, it says a lot for the the company that will put these labels on the seats um, and tell you how many uh, CO2, how many grams of CO2 were emitted in the creation of your of your car. I think it says a lot about how little volume they have on these vehicles <laughs> that they can support a program that traces each and every cow that goes into the interior. There you go. Can you I imagine if they... Ford did that for the F-150? They would just like point at the state of Wyoming and be like, the cows <laughs> came from there. <laughs> this is for the wool. This is for the wool of the interior. So I think that's a little bit easy. Easier, but the leather, uh, the animal welfare certified leather is what you're is what you're worried about. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm not worried about it, but honestly, like, yes, I believe that animals should be treated humanely and properly. But I think that, like, to pretend that somehow a leather seat is is in any way a animal welfare type of issue, it's it's just odd to me, you know, because we, okay. Yep. This is. <laughs> I'm hearing you. Um, we eat we eat animals, right? We we evolved to eat animals. So to me, this is getting weird. So to me, when well, we also we, cook them. Don't, yes. don't don't forget that part. But what I'm saying is, when we farm animals to eat them, that's biology, right? Like that. There's a there's a biological imperative for us to do that. Yes, we could subsist on a vegetarian vegetation only. A vegetarian diet. We can't. Are you saying we haven't evolved to sit on leather properly? What I'm saying is there's no evolutionary requirement for leather seats, and that when we raise cows for leather instead of food, to me, cruel. I'm not. I'm just saying it's it's odd to like make that a a selling point that you treated the leather cows nicely before you killed them. Anyway, so you're all about really far off base. You'd rather get the plastic vegan interior. I'd rather get a cloth interior because I I happen to like that. In fact, I'm considering... What if it had traceable wool, that cloth? No, I don't need wool. I'm I'm fine with like rayon. I don't need to trace the the oil that came out of the ground to make this polyester. But um, I'm actually considering putting, uh, replacing the leather seats in my Jeep with with cloth because I have to do them at some point. And I mean, the thing about leather... Cloth wears better, doesn't it? I'm sorry? To me, cloth always wears better. Well, cloth, not necessarily. I mean, cloth, it, it can scuff, it can tear, blah, blah, blah. But uh, if you treat leather well, it can last. But leather is really hot in the summer and really cold in the winter. And it cracks in a way that um, and maybe tears a little easier than, well, I don't know, depending on how you treat it. But I I just feel like it's it's easier to take care of. Gotcha. Um, another thing that we I want to talk about. We just lost half our audience because of my weird pseudo- well, we're going to get them back with this piece of information. <laughs> They're gone. Somehow. <laughs> They're going to somehow <laughs> hear it. Um, I would love to tell you about where the car is being made. The first year of which they're going to be made um, in a Chinese factory. Okay. And then the after that... Did the cows have to be flown to China? I don't know. I don't okay. think so. And then after that, they're going to be made at the Volvo Cars South Carolina facility in the United States. And then Somewhere after in the that, middle the, they're going to be made at Moonbase 6. That's <laughs> and right. the car is going to cost $1.2 million. They're really putting the star in Polestar there. It's a microgravity assembled wool, Sammy. You you want to get in on this on the ground level. I've really been looking into this, and I think uh, I think we have a chance here. Another thing to talk about with this car is there's all sorts of the – you know what? I want to talk to you more about these weird – um, alternatives that uh, the automakers keep telling us about. And I, I'm actually, I'm going to try to consider doing a, alternative a longer to what? form story on this. But they say they found something that is an alternative carbon fiber called B-Comp. It is, now, <laughs> B-Comp. What? What's wrong with B-Comp? B-com- uh, spell that for me. B-C-O-M-P. Okay. 
I mean, is, what's wrong with it? All, Too many it's, consonants, it's, I guess. It's 50% <laughs> heavier than carbon fiber, which means... It's 50% it's heavier? Yeah, which means it's not particularly a carbon fiber alternative. Hey, Sammy, let me tell you about something that's a, a carbon fiber alternative I've heard of. It's called steel. Yeah. It's a little bit heavier than carbon fiber, but get this. It's pretty strong. Yes, and... Um, the other part about it is that um, making it apparently is more sustainable or better on, better in the, for the environment uh, to the tune of like 60% or something. Okay, so we can get a product that's half as good but is 60% easier to make. <laughs> sure, better for us. All right. Better for the world. You love this. I, I do. $83,000, you're going to get you $83,000, 89,000 euro. It's an expensive um, SUV that um, doesn't have any steal- B-Cop. We're going to see a lot of people boasting in these. Do you think this is an alternative for a Tesla? I think so. I don't know. I think Tesla okay. is its own cult. I think I, if, think, I think if Porsche can make a Taycan and that hasn't become an alternative to a Tesla, I don't know what Hope Polestar has. Hmm. You know Volume? what I mean? Is Polestar selling more than, than Taycan? Yes, it is. I think it's inched those, well, those it's, numbers. It's certainly cheaper. It's certainly cheaper so far. Now, What about Panamera? Awesome. um i was also i also looked at this hilarious image that showed that that like is sent to their investors i'm going to send you this because you're going to laugh um and it just shows you their potential lineup of of cars that they're 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 going to make polestar 2 polestar 3 (laughs) a 4 and 5 and it shows you the the competitive products for those products right (laughs) porsche cayenne (laughs) porsche macan porsche panamera that's for the three four and five but you'll note that the the number one competitor for the Polestar 2 is, is just a bunch of cash. <laughs> just a bunch of cash. It's just the price range. <laughs> would you rather would you rather have fifty to sixty thousand dollars cash or this Polestar 2? <laughs> it sounds like you just put me on a game show. That's funny. Um so the three is a cayenne threat. I mean, it yeah. doesn't really sound like one. The interior certainly doesn't look like it. No, if I, yeah, hey, come on now. I don't think the interior of the Cayenne is a selling point. But it's definitely a lot more engaging and interesting. Uh, I hate those little, like, those touch buttons, capacitive buttons on the that you can see sure, what but it, features you don't have. It's not just a blank slate with a big screen, I guess is kind of what I'm getting at. It's a blank piano black slate with a bunch of, like, cutouts for, for right. icons, for, like, right. labels. You, you made your point, labels, icons, I get it. Anyways, they're going to come out with uh, – the Polestar 3 is going to come out sometime um, next year. We're going to see the Polestar 4, which is going to be a smaller SUV. Um, Polestar 5, which is going to be a GT, like, four-door, like a Panamera or a Taycan. And then I think they're going to have a Polestar 6, which is going to be a convertible, of, of which you know nobody will buy. It just really – it's gonna, what's going to be a convertible? <laughs> a Polestar 6, I believe. Uh, it almost reminds me of that old Simpsons sketch where they're sending Homer into space on the space shuttle and they're like a- accompanying him will be a a statistician or a, yep. math- a mathematician, a statistician and a different kind of mathematician. <laughs> it's like when, <laughs> when, I, when I look at when I look at these lineups, it really kind of hits me that way. Um, I'm not sure people will love this car. I think they have a chance. I'm, I think they're really going to lose people with the with the cost of this car. And I really hope that they make a like a because right now it has a dual motor setup, right? Yeah. I hope that they make a more affordable single motor model, which they did with the Polestar three, uh, Polestar two, um, that will hopefully make the product a bit more attractive and appealing. Um, 
you're not ten thousand dollars off the price of this thing. I think it'll definitely become competitive. But um, it sounds complicated, and we'll see what happens in, t in a year or so when we start seeing them on the road. So I have a vehicle to talk about, and we're not going to talk too long about it. Um, but Equally it's, complicated, right? Well, it's definitely the opposite of everything we just said. Like, What do you mean? Flip it on so, its ear. Instead of an SUV, it is a... It is a muscle car. It is not brand new. It is actually at the very end of its life cycle. And instead of electric, it is... Then... It is horrifically not electric. <laughs> horrifically not electric. Um, it is the Dodge Challenger Scat Pack Y-Body, Sammy. I feel like we talk about the Challenger every week. Okay, Have we, we, we used the to. the beginning of our podcast. The last time I talked about a Scat Pack, according to our show notes, was 2018. Otherwise, I would tend to agree with you because it seems like we did do a lot about it. But I'm going to look up Challenger because there are so many different flavors. Okay. Th no, that was it. It was uh, <laughs> when I, I went to Tamworth and I drove the um, Y-Bodies on the racetrack there. Um, so this time though, I, I mean, I know I've driven challengers over the last few years. We probably just didn't talk about it on the show. Yeah. But how wide were their bodies? They're Sammy. That's not appropriate. I'm sorry. So I, the reason I drove this car is because it's going away. I think 2023 is like, we're getting the supposedly the LX platform replacement, which is going to be electrified, probably fully electric, but we don't know. Um, they're finally going to retire the Charger and the Challenger after, I guess, since, what, 2004, 2005? Very, very long time. Almost 20 years that we've had this platform out there. I think last year will be the last production models with gasoline. The, of all of the Challengers that they've ever built, and they've built many, many different kinds, yeah. the Scat Pack is by far my favorite. I think the Scat Pack has always been the, I hate using this term because I think everybody and their, the, like every car, everybody has used the sweet spot of the, the, the Challenger lineup. Yeah, it it's, is it's crazy the good think. motor. It is the comfortable suspension, you know, like. It's, it's the car that knows what it is, you know, mm -hmm. uh, this, you look at like the red, the red eye Hellcat, the demon, the jailbreak. I mean, these are, it's weird that a car with like 485 horsepower is like the mid tier option <laughs> in the. In the Challenger world, because there's, you know, you can get an 807 horsepower version of the same car, but it's not the one I would recommend. I would recommend getting the one that's naturally aspirated, the one that, as you pointed out, is just comfortable to drive around town, but will, you know, give you tire smoking shenanigans when you want them. Uh, the one that looks like a fun jelly bean colored muscle car. Uh, the one that has a huge interior where you could theoretically put adults in the back seat if you wanted to. Um, the interior quality isn't great. But it, the infotainment system is top-notch. Uh, it's it's really kind of a best-of-all-world situation. It's not super expensive either, uh, depending on your options. You can get a cool shaker hood with it. Uh, and it doesn't pretend that it's a track car. It doesn't pretend that it's a drag car. It's a 4,300-pound, big-horsepower cruiser. does 60 in 4.4 seconds. If you need to go faster wow. than that, I mean, get something other than a Challenger, in my opinion. Yeah. You've got a car that's been around for uh, a decade or at least two decades and is, and is faster than this Polestar that just isn't even out. Yeah, yet. I mean, they're, they're obviously very, I mean, it weighs like almost 2000 pounds less than the Polestar. But we're also being told that like electric cars have this, you know, in this great benefit of having instant torque and they, we can put the motors over here and over there. It's great. Meh. Well, if a 20 year old car can outdo it like instant, like uh, from the from the factory. The thing for me though about the Challenger is that uh, it's an experience that's going away and we've talked about this uh, <clears throat> re recently on a number of different shows. 
just saying how EVs are much quicker than internal combustion vehicles, but the experience is is rather clinical. And you, you don't really cruise around in an EV. You're either like full throttle pinned, everything is scary, or you're just kind of floating. Yeah, uh, it's not there's there's not a lot of it's it's very on off in a lot of ways. You don't really feel the power ramp up. Whereas in a vehicle like the Scat Pack, you can dip in and out of the throttle to hear the exhaust sound. You hear it idling at a stoplight. Like you're engaged with the drivetrain when you're not using your foot, I guess is the way to put it. Um, you can also get a manual transmission with this car. Mine had the 8-speed. The 8-speed is fantastic. The manual is is fun. Uh, I think both are a good way to go. But the the other interesting thing about the Challenger is just how different it is from like a Mustang GT or a, yep. or a, a Camaro. Like yep. the Camaro drives way better on a racetrack and the Mustang is quicker in a straight line, but neither of them are nearly as comfortable to drive in the real world. And neither of them look as good, in my opinion. They don't have the same kind of menace, the same kind of road presence. None of them have a wide body. Exactly. Even the standard non-wide body challenge. I'm not sure you can still buy a, a non-wide body scat pack. I, think I don't know it, what a stand. I don't know what a standard challenger is anymore. Have, is that a thing yet? Yeah. Do well, we, it's the GT. Like, I've never and, seen a normal one. Anymore. I see them all the time. I see V6s all the okay. time. But um, new ones? Yeah. I assume they're new. I mean, how would you know, Sammy? They, I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. It's I always assume that if it looks normal, it's uh, it's from before the wide body or the shaker hood or the anything else. But I, I, I don't have oh. too much too much more to say about this car. Um, if you've never driven one, make sure you do that. Uh, yeah, it's it's really worthwhile. Uh, if you're an enthusiast, just spend 10 minutes behind the wheel one day and get a feel for what these cars are like, and kind of get a feel for what we're gonna be what's gonna be missed once they're gone. Because no one's mm-hmm. going to build a car like this again. I mean, Ford and, and Chevy poured their money into a totally different direction of muscle car. And they ended up with like a hybrid sports car. The Challenger's never been a sports car. It's always stuck to the muscle, muscle car yep. ethos. I think it's better for it. Um, and it's something that will never be replicated with an electric motor. Yeah. Um, but speaking of which, uh, you're saying, you know, cars that nobody was nobody's going to make or make again. Um do you remember when Cadillac was considered to be the the pinnacle of the automotive, the American automotive industry? Well, I'm not. Of... I'm not 110 years old, so <laughs> I can't well, say. That, I can't say that I do. <laughs> um, well, Cadillac apparently remembered this this history of theirs, and they've designed a new electric car called the Cadillac. You're gonna have to bear with me. I don't know if this is actually. The, I don't know the pronunciation of it. I think it's the Celestique. Always a good um, sign when your new car is already not. People don't know how to say its name. It is a hand-built all-electric sedan that will start over thirty thousand dollars. Only two will be made a day. You said what? Thirty thousand? Three hundred thousand. All right, there we go. Oh, I'm insane. Sorry, three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I, for, I forgot to carry the zero. Let's there. just back up. And what would a thirty thousand dollar <laughs> hand-built car look like? Would it have a windshield? <laughs> three yeah, wheels. I mean, three wheels. No tires. It's a deal. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a car that is going to be using the, as far as I understand, it's the Ultium platform um, that all of these GMs use these days. I think the same platform, same like battery technology that's in the Hummer, for example. Um, $300,000. It's um, And you said they can build two a day, right? They can build two a day. And it looks like a great big hatchback. It's got like a really long extended kind of aero deck look. It has the weirdest rear end I've seen in a modern car, and I love it for it. 
Um, it has, you're going to love this, four seats, not five, despite it being that big. It has 23-inch wheels, which will probably let you feel everything on the road. Um, or, you know, to probably use the fancy suspension in the world that makes everything super insulated. Like the Polestar, 2, uh, Polestar 3, it has a 111 kilowatt hour battery. They think it'll have a range of, again, about 300 miles, um, which seems to be where everyone is kind of landing with these with their estimates, 300 m miles. And uh, it'll have 300, uh, si sorry, 600 horsepower, 640 pound-feet of torque. It'll do, do 0 to 60 in about 3.8 seconds. I like this car for Cadillac. I don't like the 300 mile range. I feel like if you're spending 300K on a car, you should probably have more range than an F-150 Lightning. Um, but I think it's well beyond time Cadillac built something crazy and asked people to pay a crazy amount of money for it just to see what would happen. I think there's probably so much profit baked into this car that it's a can't lose proposition. If they're only building a small number, they're obviously only gonna build cars that are ordered. So they're not gonna have huge inventory out there. Uh, they're using the same, as you pointed out, Ultium system that other cars are using. So the development costs on that are being paid for by other vehicles that are selling at volume in theory. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's it's a smart move because BMW is not doing it. Mercedes-Benz isn't doing it. I mean, you can get Alpinas, you can get uh, Pul Pullmans, and uh, what's the other company the, the, that, that no one remembers? Maybach? Yeah, you can get Maybachs. But those aren't their own unique cars. Those are versions of other cars, right? Right. This is this is its own unique car, and not a lot of companies are doing that in the in the mainstream luxury space. So, I, so that, that's kind of my opinion on it. So much of this is unique that um, because they didn't want to make you know tooling for these low volume parts, 115 of the Celestique's components are 3D printed, including the window switch, the, the the window switches, the decorative trim, the steering wheel center. Um, all sorts of things are all are all unique to this car. Well, what's, what, what's nice is that indicates they're not just pulling from like the Chevrolet parts bin. You know what I mean? Which is the which has been the the Achilles heel of high end products at GM for a long time. Right? Yeah, I mean, you, let's let's go back in time thirty years to when Cadillac did this the last time, which was the Elante, a vehicle that was hand built in Italy and then flown over from Pinin. I was I want to say it was Pininfarina. Who, yeah. who made the bodies they and they had in Italy and they had their own um 747s that were specially outfitted to to fly a certain number of bodies across the ocean to Detroit for final assembly it was the craziest most expensive gambit that Cadillac had attempted to that point and it was a huge failure because the car was okay but it certainly wasn't worth the money they were asking for it in that time and it looked a lot like the Chrysler LeBaron convertible <laughs> which yeah, was much much cheaper yeah. So in any case, but come on, they made twenty one thousand of them during seven over seven years. That's a big deal. Yeah, that's a lot of flights over the Atlantic in your custom seven forty seven. How did this climate change happen? Well, so <laughs> let me tell you about well, the Cadillac. The Elante was not quite that popular, <laughs> but popular enough to destroy the planet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm I'm eager. In fact, I'm actually a little bit impressed. I'm. I think you know me. I I always feel like. There are times when General Motors kind of like stops short of um, stops short of of execution, right? Like they they have a great idea and sometimes they just pull back right when the product is going to be great. And I think with having a three hundred thousand dollar Cadillac, um, one they don't have the excuse of you know was it profitable to do X, Y, and Z. That is a fancy car. Well, remember uh, remember when. And not that long ago, within the last 10 years, we've seen products like the El Mirage 
and the Escala, which were like super cool coupes and sedans that Cadillac debuted at Pebble Beach and everyone oohed and awed over them. And then nothing happened with them. They were not built. And those seemed like huge missed opportunities. And for Cadillac to actually build this car, I think, is a great step in the right direction. Is this the right time? Do you think this would have succeeded if this was seen as the, like, you know, when we were talking about the Escalade V and I kept saying, this is essentially the Escalade, sorry, Cadillac's last gas powered, you know, brilliance, moment of brilliance. And now they, they're, instead of staying, you know, celebrating gas propulsion in that era, they want to have this insanely um, expensive halo flagship vehicle on the electric end. I think that's important because you want to get the early adopters or something like that. I think we're past early adopters, but I think that being able to do this on an electric platform is a huge point in its favor because of what I pointed out earlier about, you know, how the, the platform sharing is very real. Like you don't have to build a 16 cylinder engine that you're only going to sell with this car. I mean, remember what Cadillac did with the CT6 Blackwing, right? Where they built that twin turbo V8 that no one ever used ever again. Mm -hmm. Like it was a one vehicle engine that's horrendously expensive to do but if you're doing it with an ev platform it's it's not at all the same kind of thing so they can focus on the craftsmanship of the vehicle more so than the nuts and bolts of the platform when it comes to cost so i think that that's smart and i also think that you know it allows them to kill two birds with one stone where they get this crazy flagship that's it's impressive to look at and is is quick and all this stuff and and gorgeous inside but it's also electric so that allows them to look like a leader in evs which is an area where they've kind of fallen behind after being an early leader with vehicles like the Volt. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I think that's really cool. Um, anything else you want to add about this, uh, about these developments here? No, I think, uh, I think that's everything I had to say about the Celestique. Celestique. What are you driving next week, man? Whew, next week I'm talking and driving the, talking about and driving the Jaguar F-Pace SVR, Sammy, which is like probably the last V8 vehicle they're ever going to build. Uh, I'll be driving a Kia, the Kia Sportage Hybrid. Okay. And um, you know what? If you want to catch that episode, you should probably subscribe to our podcast. Uh, easiest way to do that is to go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a bunch of buttons there um, You uh, at the top of the website. You click on them and you subscribe. Or even easier still is if you go to your podcast client, your podcatcher, if you will, and search for us, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Those are three different words. And you can find us just by searching and hitting subscribe. If While you... you're at our website, you can also click some buttons and uh, get in touch with us. There's a contact form there. You fill it out. It lands in our inbox. And we get so happy every time you guys send us um, your feedback, your notes, your comments, or things that you want us to talk about. It, it, means the, it means everything to us. Right, Ben? It lets us know there's a world outside these four walls. Additionally, you can reach out to us on social media. You can find Ben. He's on the filter-filled world of Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Hashtag no filter. And you can find me on Twitter. Um, there, there's no filter there either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, or you can email us the old-fashioned way. Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com is the address. Thank you, everybody. So thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.